Hello, and welcome back to another great episode of ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana, where you ask the questions and we seek the answers. This is season two, episode one. I am your host, Mike Peep, your favorite educator interviewer. I am here with my co-host, Dr. Dana Watts, who is the Director of Research and Outreach at ISS. Dana, how are you today? I'm doing great, Mike. Great to see you. Always doing good. AMA is brought to you by ISS. Join in as we explore all you need to know about international schools from curriculum, DEIJ, marketing to HR. ISS, Ask Me Anything, is a unique educational podcast that allows you to unlock more potential and provides a platform for you to develop yourselves professionally. Before we get started today, just a few housekeeping items. Don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, and leave us a review. We can be found on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. Don't forget to check us out on ISSEDU slash events for all of our upcoming fairs and also professional developments that we have. And without further ado, let's get right into it. Dana, who is here with us today? We're lucky enough today to have Dr. Orletta Nugent. And she, this is our second or third workshop with you. I can't remember. Second, second. Second. And we've been so lucky. I don't even know how we originally found you, but every single time I've done a workshop with you, I walk away feeling like, A, I have so much to learn and just feeling like, I don't know, you, you've shown me and taught me so much. So we're thrilled to have you here. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Dana, you wanted to tell us a little bit about the workshop that Orletta was partook in, and then I will hit them with the first question. Sure. Um, the workshop happened on January 11th. Um, it was called Educators First Responders, Teaching Through a Trauma-Informed Lens. And we were looking at really like how in, in this new normal or different normal or whatever it is that we're going through, right, how much people have to adjust and respond in a post-pandemic world and and how students have really been affected by trauma within their own personal lives and then within school and how that how that manifests itself within the classroom and how teachers are really front and center at being able to help others. And so Orletta was fantastic at putting us through some different resources and some different different practices. And the three the pieces of paper, it's four pieces of paper. The four pieces of paper exercise, literally, that's the second time I've done that with you. And it brings me to tears every single time. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. I borrowed this from a friend and it's, I think it's pretty widely accepted on the internet. If you take a look at activities to, I guess, engage your body, heart, and soul into the moment and be able to feel vulnerable and yet safe at the same time because you're doing this activity amongst friends and colleagues. But this activity is supposed to situate folks in a position where they're very thoughtful about their loved ones, the things that they love, the places that they love to do. And then it progresses you to strip away those loves and what you're left with is a is the fourth sheet of paper, which is a terrible secret that gives you feelings of shame, embarrassment, loneliness, isolation, which trauma often does. A, a traumatic event impacts us in a way where we are have this inability to cope. It can be sudden, it could be gradual, but at the end of the day, we just don't feel safe. And just imagining the loss of a loved one and all the things you love to do and where you love to be, having that stripped away, it, it peels back an emotional layer that allows us to delve into not only experiencing and opening up some of our own trauma, 
but setting a stage where we can be more empathetic and compassionate to children who are experiencing this on a daily basis. Now, Arletta, I let's just say after COVID, the word trauma definitely was brought about a little bit more than before COVID. But I do believe that trauma was here before COVID. So I just would like to ask if, like, has there been levels to this trauma? Before COVID, was it different than after COVID? Is it the same trauma that we're just not dealing with? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I I definitely think trauma has been here since the beginning of time. Just like kids learning how to read has been an, an evolution, correct? So the more we learn and study the field, the more we uncover and become aware of trauma. So it's not that it wasn't there, but we have shed light on it and it has become more of an awareness and at our forefront. And with the research that's coming out and has come out in the last couple of decades is it's impacting our brains in a way that we never thought before, especially in education. So I definitely believe trauma has been here. It's just we're shining the light on it. I also believe through COVID and events that have happened in our political history in the United States, as well as our global history with impending war and, and all of those things, this combination of events have left us in a as a as a global society feeling unsafe so as a society it's what was there before is now triggered even more mental health that was a predisposition or was being managed before is now much more overt and when and i think people our society as a whole has the awareness, but we don't, we haven't moved to the level where we have systematically been able to address mental health and address how do we, how do we not only be proactive about it, but how do we react to it in a way that is restorative versus punitive? I mean, think about all the school shootings in the United States. Those are all traumatic events that have come from somewhere. So we're just beginning to understand it and we're just beginning to deal with it. But I do believe it was it was always there. We had a predisposition. It's just now with the events, it's been unveiled for us. Okay. When did your heart, body, and soul connect? And do you wish that it had connected a little bit earlier so that you, you can practice these things in order to kind of shy away from trauma? And can you shy away all the way from I think it's the human nature to react to danger. That's our primitive brain. So I don't think we can unwire that. I think we can definitely recognize that it's happening, be aware of it, know the symptoms in ourselves and get help. Because if it's a truly traumatic experience, you're going to need support getting out of it because your brain is hardwired to go fight, flight or freeze. I think my first major traumatic event was in my own childhood. But, you know, I was only 11, 12 years old. I didn't realize it was traumatizing. I don't, you know, my my father passed away suddenly. My mother went into a deep depression and she was truly traumatized. But I didn't know what it was, what it meant. You know, I also grew up in an area during the LA riots. So throughout my childhood as a teenager, there was a constant trauma. It was like chronic walkouts, race fights, all of these things. And again, I didn't recognize it. My coping mechanism is freeze. I just shut down completely and I become an obedient student. And a lot of us in education, we love our obedient students. They seem to be doing everything, but it doesn't mean that they weren't traumatized throughout their childhood. So it wasn't until I started teaching in uh, my inner city schools where behavior was 80% of the students were naughty. 
acting out, defiant, aggressive, that I really had to shift my thinking that it cannot be that children were born this way or, or people of poverty were born this way or children of color was, were born this way. It's not a predisposition to behave this way in school. So I had to start studying Preach. and looking, yeah, and looking at behavior in a different way. And, and then, you know, I did a lot of my work in the inner city schools and then I transitioned to school psychology because I was so fascinated about ch child development. And then I transitioned to school psychology, but I moved to a middle-class, upper-class. And, you know, we didn't have drive-by shootings, my gosh, you know, but mm -hmm. yet my students were, they, they exhibited a different type of behavior. They were highly anxious. Many of them were school avoidant, cutting, suicidal, hiding under desks, you know, these types of things. And, and their trauma, a triggering factor for them was something that in my head was quote unquote mild, you know, in comparison to my previous experiences. And like, it was a parent separating uh, a divorce or their best friend moved away. And so I start even started studying it more. And I was like, why are these, why are these children behaving the way they are given very different events? And that's when I really dove into trauma and understood trauma as a triggering event that was relative to the, to the child or the individual, dependent on what their coping skills were. And so it's a challenge. It's a challenge because it's so individualized. You know, you can't say one naughty child is traumatized versus one anxious child is traumatized. You have to actually, and that's part of, you actually have to look at the child and the context. And I think that's where trauma-informed practice really finds its roots is looking at not the, what the behavior is, but why what happened that is, 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 has led us to this point. I wonder, do you think that you have to have experienced trauma to understand and recognize trauma? I don't think you have to experience trauma. I think you have to have empathy and I think you have to have compassion. I don't know anybody in this world that I've met that have not experienced for themselves some degree of trauma. So I think it's, it's easy. I, it, I think what the challenge is, is having folks define trauma in a very rigid way. Like it must be you were uh, sexually assaulted. It must be a victim of crime. It must be you were in a war-torn country or something like so extreme, like the things you see on TV, right? Sorry, I love Law and Order. So I watch it all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a traumatic experience, you know? But but what could also be traumatic, like workplace sexual harassment, microaggressions, it's all dependent on how the individual responds and how's their, what their fight or flight response is. And I think that's the work that we have to do because I think everybody has a degree of trauma. It's, the, it's how you deal with it, right? And how you define it. But truly the path to that is awareness, understanding, empathy, and compassion. It comes to my next question, actually. Uh, you just said something about awareness. So I wanted to know for parents or students, like what advice do you have so that they can be more aware of traumatic instances, whether to themselves or, well, I said parent or student. So focused around the student. Focusing around this, that the parents would be aware of their child being going through mm -hmm. a traumatic experience. I think mm -hmm. the biggest, I think the biggest thing is recognizing a change in behavior. So parents know their kids really well, very well, yeah. <laughs> right? And there's just like this slight change of behavior that happens. So I'm going to tell you a little, I tell stories all the time. So I apologize. So my son, 
Yeah, my son, I love him to death. He's a smart cookie, super resilient, brilliant young man. And then he transitioned to sixth grade and had a difficult year in math. And he's like, mom, I'm sucking it up. I'm doing it. I'm studying. You know, I'm trying to support him. And he was, he was pretty good until about second semester. And then I started noticing just little things like he was irritated. He was a little snappy. He slept just a little bit more, all of these things. And then I was like, is everything okay? Is those types of things, is everything going on? Come to find out he, he was traumatized by not only his sixth grade math experience, but he was also having difficulty with his online friends, which he never shared with me. There was like bullying and microaggressions. And it got to the point, by the time I caught it, he had already experienced some suicidal ideation. But it's these subtle differences. Like, and I chalked it up to, oh, he's a, he's a tween. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's just developing. I'm a school psychologist, so I, I can see a lot of the signs, but I knew it. I knew it the moment I saw the small changes, but I was in denial about it. So I think for parents, my advice, and that it's coming from my heart because I'm a parent as well, is just be aware of the small changes and don't be afraid to open a dialogue. You know, don't dismiss it. It doesn't mean the child is traumatized. Maybe he, he like my child, maybe he was, uh, if it was a different context, uh, developmentally just mm-hmm. changing, you know, mm-hmm. but if I didn't actually stop and ask, I would never know. And I think I asked too late. These developmental changes that you say, because during teens, that's when they're like, you know, we kind of change and stuff. So these uh, erratic behaviors, maybe not so erratic, but these changes in behaviors to your teenage years, is that caused by some sort of trauma or is just jet, that's just something that's normal? Teenagers have a, a very specific developmental uh, curve. And I actually teach, teach uh, I have some professional development on teen development and the brain. Their brain is changing. Did you know that kids are in adolescence until eight, at least age 25? That's like the research. So it's, they are experiencing not only brain changes, but they're mm-hmm. also one of the drives that they have is, you know, gaining independence. And so how do they do that? A huge concept in adolescent development is identity formation. And so how, where are they seeking their identity? So I, I don't believe, oh, and not only that with the brain, they have poor, their frontal lobe is not fully developed. So they have poor decision-making. So we talk about like, Hey, you need to think this through, you know, do you really want to do X, Y, and Z when this is going to happen? Teenagers don't actually not a lot of them have that developed in their brain. So they actually cannot think mm. in foresight. They can think in hindsight when you help them, but not oh, in foresight. Yeah. So there's a ton of research on adolescent development and how brain, uh, teens develop. And, you know, I have a lot of uh, professional developments with middle school and high school folks. And they're like, they just need to listen to me. They just need to do this. And they need, they're, they're grown. They're not grown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're not grown, you know, learn about the research. I'm not saying excuse behavior. I'm saying understand behavior. So now the problem is, is the collision between adolescent development and trauma. And Mm -hmm. how do you parse that out? Right. Because you could chalk it up to, like I said, with my son development, again, I can't stress enough is seek to understand ask why. Don't be dismissive of behaviors, particularly if you see a significant change in behavior. And that's for teachers too. And if the kid comes in and they're already, you know, exhibiting naughtiness or defiance or all of those things, don't assume 
that that's just the way they are, that there is a reason why they behave the way they do. And that's our job to kind of do the inquiry. Now, it's not our job as teachers to fix it, right? We're not mental health clinicians, but we are first responders. We're the ones that identify the warning signs. We do our referrals, we get help, and we set the context in which the child develops in our classroom. So that's why first responders is like huge to me because we didn't, we've never, we've never really been first responder or ever framed that way. And I think it's really important. They spend what, six, six hours a day with us. Yeah. I wonder, one of the things that I'm constantly thinking about now, when, when you're talking about like, don't assume, right. And like, Mm -hmm. really like dig deep is like this, the whole idea of triggers, right. And like, we don't ever know what might trigger a child. And even as an adult, sometimes we don't know what triggers us to bring us back to a place. And, and, and it reminds us of some trauma that we've been through or something like that. But are there certain um, strategies or things that we can do as educators to help a student who doesn't know that the what the trigger was, right? So we can talk to a student and say, okay, so let's step back. Let's think about this because we try to keep our classrooms a safe, wonderful environment for all children. Yeah. You just never know. You just don't know. Yeah. And the student might not know either. Um, and that, that's a really good point, Dana, because when they are triggered, again, they go into that flight, fright, you know, response mode, who knows how long it takes them to get out of it. And so, I mean, a lot of these kids are in fight mode constantly every day. That's just where, what, where they are to deal with what, whatever their triggers are. And many things can trigger them. I think what, if you take a look at behavior management and behavior research, there is a very widely accepted observational tool called the ABCs, which is antecedent behavior consequence. And if you are truly observing that child, you're going to be seeing triggers happening a lot. And what that means is the behavior happens, you as a teacher or a a professional would reflect, okay, what happened right before? And, and you can actually determine or hypothesize some of the triggers to, for the student. Like, oh, I noticed, you know, there's days when he walks in and he's just off. And then later you find out, oh, he didn't have breakfast, right? Like that was the, that was the trigger. Those are the days. So finding the patterns in your kids, and we do it all the time. In our class of 36, you notice Johnny is kind of off and you realize, oh, I forgot to greet him this morning. Like there's, you know, these kids so well, by uh, particularly, I think, I think our teachers are so skilled. They know them like within two months, which is amazing. So you, we can employ that as, as a teacher tool, really looking at the behavior and finding out what the antecedent is and then the behavior, what it is. The C is consequence, which means what happens after the behavior. So if you um, look at the behavior and then you realize that you as a teacher are constantly allowing the student to get out of work, the consequences he's avoided work and it might be a reinforcer for that student. So Mm -hmm. not only is it a trigger, but we can inadvertently reinforce the behavior depending on how we respond to the behavior. Now, teachers are not highly skilled in this and I don't expect them to be. That's not part of their training. This when you start noticing these behaviors, you've talked to the student, they don't know the triggers, you've, you've given a little anecdotal, you got to refer out, you have to just get help. We cannot educate these kids alone. We have to do it as a team. So, you know, there are experts on your campus, guaranteed. And if there is no expert on there, your administrator or support people, we're Googling like crazy, and we're going to be trying, right? <laughs> 
That's such an important reminder, though, because I do think often the teacher students may reveal something to a teacher and realizing that the teacher isn't alone, right? There are supports yeah. within our schools. And I know now I'm older than, than both you and Mike, but like there was none, there were no conversations whatsoever about this when I was in my teacher ed programs. But since then, I've gotten a handful of master's and a PhD and still very, very little information about how do you work with kids in, in this capacity. And I'm hoping that, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, there's unlimited amount of terrible things that happened throughout COVID and the pandemic, but I'm hoping that we've started to talk about this and really understand the importance of teaching it, not just to our teachers, but also to parents and understand, you know, how to talk about it. And I love the fact as a parent, people talk about mental health in the same, in a more similar way than as they do about regular health issues. And that's comforting to me because it was one of those things you used to only talk about with your friends behind closed doors. Yeah. You would only say something to um, a dear friend and say, oh, you know, my child's struggling with this, but never in the company of other people and in, in a larger group or owning it. And now people, I hear people talking about it on a regular basis, like, oh, I need some help. It happened to me the other day. I was literally at a football game, watching a football game with one of my friends. And he's like, I'm really having trouble with my son right now. And it's, he's a young adult. And he's like, I, and I'm just looking for some strategies. And I was like, been there, done that. Let me yeah. tell you, like, not that I'm the expert. And here's some people we went to. Here's some different things that we looked for in the community. Blah 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 blah. But in the past, we would have never said that at a table, sitting there as we're watching the Buffalo Bills. You know, yeah. I think different cultures have definitely progressed. Like the United States. I mean, you you turn on the TV. There's 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 an ad for how to get mental health and better health. Know, yeah, the, yeah. The, it's it's all over the place. They've done a very really wonderful campaign to destigmatize mental health. We have mental health awareness days. I mean, the WHO has a world mental health day. So if our international teachers just go to that and act, there's so many resources, but we do have a continued challenge, particularly our international teachers who are situated in cultures where mental health is very stigmatizing. So it's the hopes that we progress, those cultures progress and become more acceptant, but cultural beliefs are very deep. And so navigating that is another area that we have to figure out. And that's why it's so much, so important that when the kids are in our four walls, that we do have a place for them that's safe. We do understand them to a level because I think all parents want their parents to do well. And I want them, I want them to be successful. There's not one parent out there that doesn't want it. But sometimes, sometimes we are in it alone in the sense that as educators and professionals, we have to create the constructs within our locus of control. Thanks for that. Now, I know our time uh, is running short and the whole time we've been speaking about students. The title of your course was called First Responder. So I do understand the first responder of that child is a parent or a teacher. Mm-hmm. Now I would like to know for the teacher, who is their first responder? Their first responder is their support team, their administration. Some folks are unionized, their unions, their their own spouses, those type of things. But if we're looking at it from a structural level, it is the responsibility of the administrators on that site to make sure our teachers are healthy and to identify those things. I, I do believe the power of the administrator it is that power and, and that ability. And so having our, our teacher leaders really trained 
in, in this as it presents in adults is a powerful tool having teaching empathy and compassion, because often there's times, you know, you've been there, our administrators who are listening, you're like, oh, this teacher, I can't, and I've done everything. And that's, that's really just a mirror of what teachers can feel for kids who exasperate them. So how do we push everybody there to empathy and compassion? Understand that trauma is not just a child thing. It's not just abuse thing. It's everybody's experienced it and they'll manifest it differently. Now, as we finish up, what's a one word or your way of describing trauma? There's a lot of definitions out there, but my way of describing trauma is there is a, an event or a series of events that we are in, in able to cope with given our existing coping mechanisms. And that leads to a loss of safety. And that loss of safety triggers our brain to go into flight, fright, or freeze response. And so that is my simple definition of it. There's an event. Can you stay in that response? I'm sorry. Yeah, you you can stay stay in that response for a long time. And that's not okay, right? Well, it's not okay for the individual. Right. That's what. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in the long term, but that's how they cope to get through it. So it's, it's, it's tricky right? You don't want a child to stay in fight response, but if they don't have a substitute coping mechanism, they'll never get out of it. So that that's, what's tricky. So how can we create safe environments for our kids so that we can get them to the, to learn, to be able to access coping mechanisms so that they can, they can heal. Absolutely. The children are our future. Yeah. Well, and hopefully because of the work that people like you are doing, right, they all be better equipped for this because we know, like, when I think on my parents' generation, you know, their ability to even have this conversation, not that like they're not amazing, empathetic human beings, but just to talk about it in such a a way and, and there's so much research about it now. And so it's really helpful. So we really appreciate all the work that you're doing. This is incredible really helpful and it's going to help a lot of people heal and also learn how to survive trauma yeah absolutely absolutely and picking up dana if you just want to let us know how we could reach you for a little as we it's actually uh we're in our 30 minute mark so oh okay so people can reach me through my linkedin which is just google my name it's orletta o-r-l-e-t-t-a win n-g-u-y-e-n um, you can also email me at orlettawin at gmail.com. Yeah, well, any projects you're currently working on that uh, people should look Projects at? that I'm working on? Well, I am doing some work with uh, some connections with ISS. It's going to be a lot of fun for to deal with, to cope with trauma, teaching teachers how to help be the first responders for our children who are who are Ukrainian and have some trauma from that conflict there. Mm-hmm. And so how do we help them move through it? It from an educator's perspective. So that's my current project. Super excited about it. Yay. Uh, yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. Arletta. Thank you so much for the heavy lifting that you're doing uh, for, for the kids in, in all of our communities. Uh, it's, that's very, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for that. Dana, anything else? No, thank you. Thank you so much. This was fabulous. We love having you. Thank all you. Right. And this is how we started uh, season two, everyone. So this is, we're coming down to the end of the show now. Uh, so don't forget to follow our page to receive notifications about new episodes that we release. We release an episode every Wednesday. Thank you for tuning in and kindly head over to issedu slash events to see future PDs that ISS will be offering for the school year of 23. 
If you love the show, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Spotify. Don't forget to follow ISS on all our social media platforms. See you next time on our next episode, educators. Bye-bye.